And uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about the Christian's new normal. That seems to be the uh, uh, fancy phrase that's going around today. So uh, this is part two of what I started last week on that we really are more than conquerors. It's our memory verse this month. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. There in Romans chapter 8, 37. So we really are more than conquerors. I want to talk to you about the new normal life the Christian is supposed to live, not the old normal. So if you take your Bible, go to Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> and I'm just going to read Romans 8, 28. I know this says 8, 37, but I want to go ahead and read um, uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. It's going to be too much for John to put up on the screen. But I'm going to start in verse 28. I'm going to read all the way down to verse 20, uh, verse 39. Um, and then we'll make some statements here by way of introduction. Romans 8, it's good to have your Bible. I'm glad that we have technology and uh, that these things can be put on the screen and that you don't have to do anything, but you need to feed yourself too. Open the book and uh, see for yourself on the pages of the Bible what God says. Romans 8, 28, and we know, circle that word know, that all things, we're going to come back to that, circle that word, all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What a, what a thing. Verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us right now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, here's our verse, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the catchphrase today, now we've just looked at something that we're just going to be overwhelmed by in just a few minutes, but I want to start off by saying the catchphrase today, the, the phrase that's going around in every media uh, format is we're in a new normal. Uh, we're all supposed to be getting used to how the coronavirus has changed the world. Well, I got news for you. We Christians have been living a new normal ever since we got born again, and it never gets old. You see, the, the, the world says we're going to have to wear masks when we get into crowded rooms, uh, uh, says that we're going to have to keep social distancing. That's the new normal. But, you know, Christians already believe in separation. Christians already know we don't go to the discos and we don't go to the pubs and we don't pick up the bottles. We already have a, a new normal. <clears throat> there's, there's just something about Christianity the world's catching up to. 
There are things you don't do or else it'll kill you. There are things you don't participate in or it'll soil you, it'll defile you. Isn't that interesting? In the world about a thousand years behind the times. So this new normal that the Christian's living in, I want to talk about this morning. Because Jesus Christ has made an effect on the believer's life. I mean, it is an amazing effect. You saw that, and I want you to try to soak in some of that. Because before we got saved, our, new, our old normal, B.C., before Christ, was we worked hard at being good. Many of us were taught we have to be good. We have to be obedient. We have to be respectful. But then we covered up all our failures when we weren't good. Our old normal was we hoped for the best to get into heaven when we died. If there was a God and if there was a heaven, we hoped for the best. We flipped back and forth between believing in God and then giving up on God. And then we found later in life that we found the Bible and God and Jesus just very confusing. That was our old life. So you sit in church and you go, I just don't get it. I just, that's the old way. That's the old normal. But as a Christian now, we learned you don't have to be good. You're not supposed to be good to earn God's love. You already have it. You instead strive for holiness now and godliness because of God's love. You see, when you know you're loved, that changes your whole motivation. When you're trying to earn somebody's love, you will quit because it's too big a deal. Uh, you no longer are trying to get eternal life. You read in your Bible, you'll find out that the moment that you respond and you repent and you believe the gospel, you received eternal life. You're not waiting for heaven to experience it. You've got it right now. You're not battling to get into the gates of heaven. That's, that's ridiculous. A lot of people think that they're fighting all these things just to get to heaven. No, the only battle I have is with doing the will of God. That's it. The devil can't keep me out of heaven. The devil can't keep me from God. But the devil put obstacles between me and the will of God. And you'll watch most Christians, I'll talk about this in two weeks, you'll watch most Christians give up on doing the will of God. Now, uh, so the new normal for the Christian is amazing. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors. And I've pondered that for literally two or three months now. This idea of I'm not just a conqueror. I'm not just a victor. I'm not just a winner. I am more than a conqueror. And it's described in John chapter 5, Gospel of John chapter 5. <clears throat> John chapter 5 and verse 24. John 5, 24, verily, verily. You know, when, when Jesus repeats something, it is meant to be paid attention to like nothing else. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath right now everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is past, is moved out from death unto life. We've passed from death and ruin into life now. That's the new normal. We're not striving to conquer. We already are conquerors. As a matter of fact, we're even more than conquerors. We live in a completely different kingdom now. One in, in the kingdom we're living in, every enemy that ever has tried to, to affect us and defeat us is now ruined, is now defeated. Every enemy is, is defeated. And we have every reason to press on now. We, 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 we live in the kingdom of God. 
Um, because this crazy world, I mean, this crazy world is going crazier and crazier and crazier, burning down the very cities they live in. And it's, it's all over the world. I don't live in this world anymore. I'm here, but I live in a new world. I live in a kingdom called the kingdom of God. And there is, there is, um, uh, there's no reason to want to live in this old kingdom here, this old world. So I talked to you last week. I said that to the world, we Christians look a little poorly. We don't, we don't look like we got it all together. We don't have much to brag about or anything to brag about even. You know, most Christians I know have a lot of problems, health problems, family problems, mental problems. I don't know what the thing is, heart problems. We have problems. We live lives that fail to live up not only to God's expectations, but even our own expectations. But that's not the whole truth. You see, I taught you uh, and I proved to you that because of the work of the grace of God, we're forgiven. We've been forgiven by the grace of God. I mean, we've been completely forgiven. When we look at those scriptures there, but the Bible tells us we are forgiven. Uh, now, that may not mean much to you, but it means much to those of us who know how much in trouble we were to God. And when you stand before God, one of these days, he's going to show you all the list of your sins, all your attitudes, all your thoughts. You say, uh, God doesn't keep all those records. He keeps perfect records. And you're in trouble with God until the moment you turn to Jesus Christ, cry out to him for, for salvation and for forgiveness, and you cry out from your heart, not just from your head. And you say, save me. From that moment, you are completely forgiven. I proved to you last week, we're free. We've been made free now, free from the bondage of sin. If anybody goes back into sin, it's because they did it. Sin didn't, didn't defeat them. Their friends didn't defeat them. The devil didn't defeat them. They walked right back into it. But we are free. Don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage, the Bible says. We're fiercely loved. God just doesn't say, I love you. He proved it. And then he commits himself to us. We are fully equipped to win. When the Bible talks about the whole armor of God, it talks about a complete assortment of weapons and tools to win. He didn't just, just give us a few things and his hope for the best and walk into battle with, with no confidence that we're going to win. No, we have been equipped to win every battle that we may ever face, and even against the devil. I also proved to you that we're fighters in a war that's already won. I don't have to fight against sin trying to conquer me. I fight against my will. I fight against my love for sin. I fight against my flesh. But the war with sin, the war with my old me has been won by Jesus Christ. And if I just walk in him, if I just walk in the spirit, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the great truth of the Christian life. It's what we are. I know plenty of people who say, I can't wait to get to heaven, so I'll be free from sinning. Well, I know what they mean, but you already are free and you will sin. Your flesh is never going to not want to sin and you're going to be sometimes very lazy or you're going to be carnal. You're going to give into it, but you cannot say, I can't wait to finally be free from sinning when God has already made it possible for you to be free right now. You are fighting in a war that's already won. You're going to have to start to believe that. And then lastly, you're focused on a proper goal. Our goal is not heaven. My goal was heaven. As a matter of fact, can I just tell you, tomorrow is my 40th spiritual birthday. 40 years ago, somebody pulled out a gospel track and handed it to me and said, where are you going when you die? And I said, who knows and who cares? And that person says, you can know and God cares. 
and then commenced to show me out of the, the, the track, the scriptures. I didn't pay much attention to it. And then she turned on me and she said, you aren't, uh, you're uh, headed to hell. You're not going to walk straight up to God and try to negotiate a backdoor experience. You're going to be rejected at death. The Bible says um, uh, uh, it is appointed to men once to die. And after this, the judgment. And she put the fear of God in me. And then she invited me out to church. And I went to church. And it took a couple of weeks, about eight weeks, before I finally realized that the man preaching up there was preaching about me, showing me from the Bible that I was lost. I needed to be born again. My focus on that night, on, the, on Sunday night, the 15th of June, 1980, my focus was getting into heaven. I didn't want to go to hell. I knew I deserved it. But ever since that day that I got saved, my focus has not been on getting on to heaven. That's, that's done. I know I'm going. My focus has been on doing the will of God. My goal is to live a life well lived that matches the life of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what I am. And that's what every Christian is. We ha we, I have. You say, I'm looking for the will of God. God already showed it to you. You're just trying to find something more special, something more particular. Focus on what he's showing you. And you'll, you'll arrive with, with, uh, with all the accolades and all the prizes that go with living for God. But this morning, I want to talk about what God has promised us as believers. Two or three things this morning, hopefully just to blow you away. God made a promise, all right? And uh, Romans 8.28 is, is, is the beginning of our thoughts this morning. And uh, this new normal that we have is based upon a promise now, our world didn't get changed the moment we got saved. My circumstances, many of them didn't change. I still was 17 years old when I got saved. I wanted to be 21. But when, when, when I got saved, my circumstances didn't get changed. My finances didn't get changed. The world didn't get changed. I got changed. And, but now the life that I live and the life that you live, if you're saved, is based upon a promise. I mean, a promise that is the best promise ever. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. I could just preach for two Sundays on that scripture all alone. But did you notice everything in a, in a Christian's life? That word all means all, folks. All things, everything in a believer's life is being worked together for good. Everything. Now, I want you to realize not every good thing, but every bad thing, every hard thing, every painful thing, everything you wish you could forget, God works out for good. It's not wasted. You say, well, you don't know what happened to me when I was uh, uh, 14 years old. You don't know what I went through when my parents divorced. You don't know um, uh, what all happened. Mm. There we go. Sometimes this camera gives a little bit of a hassle, so pray the electronics stays on track this morning. But whatever, um, uh, whatever you've been through, God says, I won't waste it. God's going to work everything out for good. Now, that, that comes to um, uh, kind of like um, when you're make, baking a cake. Now, I don't bake, all right? But there are all of these ingredients that go into baking a cake. And you may taste a raw egg and bleh. You may taste the flour and it's bland, it's dry. Pinch of salt and say, like, you know, the only thing that may be good in the baking of a cake may be a taste a bit of the oil or a bit of the butter or some cream or some sugar. But you, you look at that stuff and you say, where's the cake? 
Well, all of those things have to be mixed together. And I got a thought here. Let me let me come back to um, uh, some things. I'll come back to this. God works all of those things in your life. He works, uh, he, he works all the stuff that you hang on to from your past, like your disappointments when you were let down in the past, emotional scars and abuses. All the events and failures, disasters are not wasted when they're in Christ's hands. God, did you know God can take the muck, the dirt and the dust of your life and make something beautiful? God will take trash and rubble and rubbish and make something beautiful out of it. That's our God. So what he promises, he guarantees is that everything in your life, past, present, future, is working together for good. It's not working together for your wealth. It's not working together even for your happiness, but for your good. It's like mixing together all of those ingredients. By the way, only God can take everything that ever happens to you and make sense out of it and make it come together for something marvelous and good. I'll show you an example here. Uh, you start to mix together the, the flavors together, the eggs, uh, the cinnamon, and uh, um, uh, the carrots, and, and uh, uh, all of these different things. Not one time throughout this entire process does it look like a cake yet, does it? Not until the very last at each one of the steps of your life where it seems like God was not there, when it seemed like, like everything was wrong, when everything was, was, was at the end, like you just wanted to die. In each one of the steps in your life where it seemed like there was nothing good happening, God was mixing together something that in the end will be beautiful. So you got to remember, you're maybe here. You may be there, okay? You may be down almost at the end, let me tell you, but stay true, press on. God's going to work all things together for something good. Um, now, uh, that, that brings me to a thought there. It, it's not for everybody. See, if you're not born again, let me tell you, how do you know somebody's born again? They love God. Look at that verse, verse 28. It is, he works together, all things together for good to them that love God. That's a shame today that people say they love God, but their heart is far from him. But to those who love God, those who are truly born again, who, who, who really, their life belongs to God, and they don't mind losing everything because they're walking with God. God promises to work all things together for those that love God and to those that trust God's purpose for their lives. The call according to his purpose. You remember a young man named Joseph coat of many colors. Well, he loved God and he trusted God so that wherever he was, he had a right attitude and a right spirit like we need. So that's a great promise so that you and I can be like Joseph and can press on all the way until the cake is made, all the way until God works everything. If you read uh, there in Genesis and you find all those chapters talking about Joseph going down, down, down through disaster after disaster, and you find out that God was working everything together for good. Even Joseph himself said to his brothers who sold him off to slavery, who hated him, who wanted nothing to do with him. He said to his brothers, you thought evil against me, but God made it turn out for good. That's what God does. So now this brings us to look at verse 29 and 30. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. There are five proofs that God is for you and me. There are five things that God did uh, to prove that he stands with us against all the attacks. Romans 8, 29 and 30. For whom he did foreknow, 
He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, what's all that about? Well, even before you knew him, just pause and think this for a moment. Just don't think about anything else. Just ponder this. Even before you ever knew him, he was busy drawing you to him. He was attracting your attention. He was convincing you of sin and of guilt. And he was creating a hunger in you for himself alone. Why? Because what, he's, what he'll do the moment that you get saved is what I'm about to describe right here. We read that John 5, 24, where we've passed from death into life. Well, I created a little uh, graphic here. This was our life before uh, salvation, before Christ in our life. It was a life that led to death. Um, and um, uh, what, what Romans 8 describes is that Craig Ledbetter has moved from death unto life. I've, I've changed dominions. I've moved out of the devil's dominion into God's. I've moved out of the sorrow of this life into the joy of the Lord. Romans 8, 28, 29 and verse 30 describes what God did to move me and keep me here. No matter what the devil wants, no matter what even I want now, I am not going back there. Jesus did something that settles not only my destiny, but my life here and now. I'm going to talk about that. Look there in verse 29. It says, for whom he did, our first word is foreknow. What did that mean? It means that God knew us, and yet he still saved us. It does not say, the Bible does not say that God forechose us. That would be something or that he pre-chose us instead of someone else. No, he didn't force people. He doesn't force people to get saved. He doesn't foreordain people to go to heaven and some to go to hell. It just says he knew us. He knew all about us. It means that God knew who would get saved and who would reject him. God already knows that. Remember when you made friends uh, as kids, it was a momentary decision. You had, you had very little idea of their past or what they would do later on in their life. And, and, but you still said, you're my friend. You, you didn't know what they were like when they were five. And you don't know what they're going to be like when they're 25. But you just think you became friends. Let me tell you, God's not like that. God foreknew who you were and what you did before you ever started thinking about him. And what you'll be like 30 years down the line. And yet he still, even though he foreknew you, he still said, I'll take you. I love you. And I'll save you. God knew us, and yet he still saved us. You know, um, uh, God knew us and still wanted us. That's what got me to finally surrender and get saved was because I realized I didn't have to do a song and a dance. I didn't have to do anything to try to get God's attention. He was trying to get mine. And uh, the fact that God wanted me changed my mind. I said, then I want him. And the moment I repented and believed the gospel, I just realized that's love. By the way, God knows you. He knows all about you. He knows what you've done, and he knows what you're going to do. And yet he still wants to save you and wants to save your whole family. There's nobody. There, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's a great truth. Wouldn't you agree? 
One of the ways that God proves his commitment to us is he already knows us, and yet he's committed to us and he saves us. Secondly, he uses another word there. And these are all wonderful words there. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Let me bring this up. Oh, um, I don't know where my thing is there for predestination. I'll come back to it in a second. It's out of order. There he is. So secondly, secondly, predestined you. And there in verse 29, it says he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. In simple words, he's going to make you like Jesus. Now, this is a big theological word that theologians love to argue about. Next time you get on an airplane, I want you to look at the ticket. And when you look at the ticket, it should say a destination, doesn't it? Like Edinburgh or Paris. And once you get on that plane, you're predestined to arrive there, right? That's it's fixed. You're gonna hopefully the plane's not gonna divert and go to another airport. You're supposed to get there. That's how we normally understand the word predestined, but that's not how God uses it here. It simply means guaranteed. See, God fixed it so that we are predestined or we are guaranteed to be like Jesus one day. You see, God is committed to conforming us, molding us, shaping us, changing us into the image of Christ. I need you to hold your place here and go to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. I don't, I, don't, I don't hope anything. I am. I got born again 40 years ago. I know what I am. Now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. I don't know what I'm going to be like in the future. But we know that when he shall appear, we know this, we're going to be like him. For we shall see him as he is. That's my hope. Look at verse 3. And every man that hath this hope, purifieth himself even as he is pure. I'm going to be like him one of these days. Therefore, all I want to do is work at being more like him. I don't want to be perfect. I just want to be like Jesus. I want you to go back now to Psalm uh, 17. Psalm 17, in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 17. Psalm 17 and verse 15. David here writing down one of his prayers, and he said this, as for me, he doesn't know about anybody else, but he knows about himself. He says, as for me, I will behold one of these days thy face in righteousness. He knows he's going to be in heaven one day. I shall be satisfied when I awake, watch this, with thy likeness. I can't wait till I'm like you. Now, that's, how, that's what God has done is he has Fixed not only your destiny since you got saved, but he's fixed your, your change. He's molding and shaping. He's going to change you. Now, all we got to do is quit fighting him. Uh, quit, quit resisting the work that he's doing. And what, what you do is you look at your circumstances and you start saying, you know, where I am and what I'm going through is actually the process that God uses to change me. Usually it makes us bitter. Usually our problems make us so that we, we, we give up on God and we give up on people and we, we get bitter. But that's not the purpose of the circumstance, not as a Christian. If we truly believe that God is working everything together for good, then I go with it. Then I let the pain, I let the disappointments happen. I let 
defeat happen. I let discouragement happen. I was asking somebody earlier in the week, what do you do with discouragement? How do you deal with it? Because most of us, we, we try to just keep going and try to put it out of our mind and everything. And okay, that's fine. But you see the discouragements, the defeats, the disasters, the pressure, the stress, the things that we hate, that's God. If he is God, and he is, and if he is your God, and, and I hope he is, he's at work in all of those things. And when I want to go and try to get changed by, by moving and going to another town, if I want to be changed by switching jobs or by Getting, getting, you know, if I could swap out my kids, if I could just swap out, you know, get a new dog, if I could uh, get a new car, if I could, everything that we want to change on the outside won't change us. What we do is we let God, wherever we're at, change us because he's guaranteed that he's going to make us like Jesus if we let him, if we yield. That's another whole thought. So uh, the third thing, the third thing back there in Romans chapter 8 so we, knew, we, we, we find out that God already knew all about us, and yet he saved us. Secondly, he's made it so that we're going to become like Jesus. We're going to be different. If you're not a better person than you were last year, if your heart's not softer, sweeter, more determined uh, to, to live for God, you need to, you need to revive. You need to repent because the whole purpose of the Christian life is to change you. And the only person you've got to blame for you not being more like Christ this year than you were last year is yourself. You can't blame me. You say, well, I don't like Pastor Craig's preaching. I don't like this and I don't like that. You're, you're just pushing the blame onto somebody else when the problem is you and your own heart. Because God's fixed it that he's put you right where you're supposed to be, in the family you're supposed to be with, in the church you're supposed to be in, in the job maybe you're supposed to be at to make you like Jesus. You say, how does that work? Only God makes it work. Third thing he does there in verse 29, he said, for whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many. He wants to be, wants heaven filled with family. Verse 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate, these are all Bible words, them he also called. Now called is a great word. God has called or purposed every one of us to a different life than we had before salvation. Now you think about that. He calls every Christian to a different way of living. That's why we call it the new normal. God has purposed every one of us to live, to live a different life than before we had, were saved. Whatever you were and whatever you did before you got born again, if you're saved, died. The moment you got born again, it died. That, that, that addiction to cigarettes and to vaping and all that stuff died the moment you got saved. Now, you still may be at it, but the power of that thing died. All your old friends sort of had a different, you had a different look at them. Now, you may have gone back to them. I'm going to tell you, um, your old life is supposed to be dead because God, because Christ called you. He purposed you to live a different way. I need you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Go to the right. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in verse 9. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? You want to live ungodly? Go right ahead. You'll miss the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither, here comes the list, fornicators, 
And that's the big sin today. I don't care if you're 15, 16 years old, all, all limits are off today. Guess what? You're doomed. Fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers. That's, that's what you see on the streets in America right now and London stuff. Revilers, those rioters, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. They're not going to get in. Verse 11, and such were some of you, like that word, circle that word, were. And such were some of you, but ye are now washed. Ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, uh, you are sanctified and ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. From the moment that you got saved, all that stuff is gone. It's in the were zone. It's, it's the past. That's what you were. It's not what you are. God has called you to a whole different life. Go to Galatians chapter one now. After Corinthians, go to the next book, 1 Corinthians, then Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15. The Apostle Paul noted that when he got saved, he had a whole new way of life. He didn't go back to being a, a, try to be a better Jew. He became a Christian, a Christ follower. Uh, Galatians 1.15 says this, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, it's not talking about salvation. It's talking about purpose to me. To reveal, this was the purpose, to reveal his son in me that I, watch his purpose, that I might preach him. He called me to preach Jesus among the heathen. And from that moment he got saved, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. And he went and spent two years in the desert relearning and rethinking all of the Old Testament and just seeing Jesus Christ in every page of the Old Testament there. Another scripture there. Second Timothy chapter one, chapter one, second Timothy chapter one and verse nine. Second Timothy, just before Hebrews, second Timothy chapter one and verse nine. Now who is a, is a he, it's a Jesus who has saved us. And look, calling is not your salvation. Calling is after you're saved who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Somebody says, oh, so-and-so, they're such a good speaker. They'd make a great preacher. Oh, so-and-so is such a great singer. Oh, they ought to sing for the Lord. Well, okay, let me just tell you this. That's not what God determines to use. God uses the, the poor. God uses the feeble. God uses the weak. God uses those who tremble and have no ability. He calls us not according to our abilities, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. Do you see that? And grace. He gives you a purpose and then he gives you the grace to fulfill it, which was given us in Christ Jesus long before the world ever began. There's so many things we're purposed to do now that we're born again. Do you ever think about what I'm supposed to do? Uh, there's a lot now that we're saved. I mean, we're told that we ought to, we're, we're called to fellowship with Jesus Christ. I won't have you go there, but 1 Corinthians 1 9 says, God is faithful, by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his dear son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I, I, I'm, I'm invited. It's like somebody phoning me right after the service today. Hey, you want to come over for lunch? I answer that call. I say, sure. And when Jesus says, I want to spend the day with you, I want to spend the life with you, that's my calling. I'm called and I'm purposed to be holy, 
to be, live godly and clean, not like this world. I can't watch the news because everybody who's interviewed now uses every filthy word you can imagine. The most this this generation is the filthiest mouth generation I could have ever imagined. I never thought, but it's it's really the parents' fault. You parents have been talking this way. Your kids are picking up what the mom and dad have been saying and all the stuff they've been watching on television for decades now is coming back and is going to haunt this generation. Christians are not supposed to use that language. If you use that language, shame on you. You need to repent. As a Christian, you're called to have uh, clean lips, clean words, edifying words, not destructive words. Don't ever tear anybody down with your with your words and your your abilities. We're called to we are called purposed to uh, to be holy in words and our actions. We're called to be different than the world. The Bible word is peculiar, and boy, does the world make fun of us. We're called to do right things, even though it may be unpopular and hard to do. We're called to serve God and serve everyone, no matter who they are. We're called to go low. Um, uh, somebody's not like you, you serve them. Somebody doesn't think like you, you bless them. Bless even your enemies. We're called to live a life that matters. I could go on and on. Each one of these thoughts are an hour in pondering. God has called every pur uh, and purposed every one of us to a different life. Then he did something else, and I move it down here. He justified us. Now, this is great. Go back to Romans chapter 8. I hope you're still holding there. In verse 30, it says, whom he called, then he also justified. Now, this justification is different than the justification when we got saved. Again, the Bible the Bible is a book to be studied. There are two justifications. One of them is a justification from all sin. God justified me as if I'd never sinned. And that's true. But God did more than that. He actually justified my inability, my weaknesses. You see, so I, let's pretend that I go and I start a job and I'm not qualified to do the job. But my employer says, I still want you. I still am, I'm going to train you. I'm going to equip you, but I want you to do this job. You say, but but I don't like this job. I'm not good at it. And, and the, the employer says, but this is what I need you to do. He Somebody comes along and says, you know, Ledbetter, he's not good at that. The boss says, I put him there. I will help him. I will equip him. And he justifies those of us in our calling. See, God is the one that justifies the believer. He's the one who stands in and points out and says, He's just what I wanted. You may want somebody else to do it. You may think somebody else is more qualified and better at something, but God's got his own business, man. When, when uh, uh, Goliath was out there crying out for a man to come down and fight him, everybody looked to the Eliabs. Everybody looked to the King Saul's. You know what God looked for? Young David. And they looked at him and they mocked him. Even King Saul says, you're just a kid. He's a man of war from his youth. And yet David went out there and defeated that, that Goliath. Why? Because God called him. And then God justified him. You see, this justification is he qualifies us. He justifies all our failures at his own expense. When I try and serve God, can I just be real plain? When I try to serve God, I fail. I fail left, right, and center. It's just it's sometimes you get good at just rolling on and nobody notices. I say things that are embarrassing. I say things that are wrong. I don't, I don't do things that need to be done. I do things that don't need to be done. That's the life of any human being. 
I upset people. I say things that, that shouldn't be said. That's my life. You know what God does? He, at his own expense, makes up for all of my failures. Remember our verse. He makes all things work together for good. See, he just, now, um, I mean, let me use this illustration here there, where you ever bumped into a car or somebody bumped into your car and made a dent in it. Now, all of a sudden, you owe the owner of that vehicle, you owe them the repair of that vehicle. And, and what you do is you, need, you, you make it right. So you take it, uh, you, you pay for it to go into the shop, and then shazam, that, that damage is repaired. Somebody made it right, and, and you're supposed to make it right. But you see, what I'm saying is that God, when I do something wrong, when I fail, there is no failure in Christianity because God justifies even our failures. And you may look at your life and say, every time I try to serve God, it goes wrong. You cannot believe that anymore. When you serve God, everything turns out right, like God wants it to. You just see it right now in this moment. You're looking at the cake, and it's in a batter make. Uh, uh, state. It's in the mixing state. It's in the dry state. It's in the yucky state. You don't know how it's going to turn out in the end. And you cannot stop God's hand from doing that work because that's, that's where the real failure is. So believe this, whom he called, he justified. Every time you fail trying to serve God, God says, keep going. Keep Say, well, I, I mess up. I went off key on that note. Just keep singing. Say, well, I, I, every time I preach, my, my knees knock together. And I just want to run, and, I, and I, I can't finish the sentence. I stutter. Keep preaching. Um, uh, fulfill your calling. Let me finish up this thing here. There down at verse 30, he says, whom he justified, then he also, and I like this, he glorified. That means he perfects us in heaven one day. What a, what a great thought. What a great thought. God is already glorious, isn't he? Heaven is glorious. But this is the promise that God will glorify and perfect us in heaven one day as well. Philippians chapter 3. Go to the right. Find Philippians. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Right in those four, those four books, you'll find Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Philippians 3.20, the Bible says this. For our conversation is where? It's, what we talk about is in heaven. From whence also, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, this news has all our attention. Let me tell you this. I'm looking for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our, what's our body called? Not a, not a, you know, uh, a frail or a weak. No, no, no. Our vile, that's who we are and what we are. Vile. Make you want to throw up if you really thought about yourself enough who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his, what's the next word? Glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all of my failures, all of my past, subdue all things unto himself. You know, uh, what has God done for us? He's, he's taken us all the way home to heaven. See, when he, when he glorifies us, he makes us ready for heaven. Psalm 73 says this, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. You know, right now, God's guiding us. But in the end, 
That's why there's hope at a Christian funeral. That's why there's singing at a Christian funeral. That's why there's joy at a Christian funeral. Because we know, now not true for everybody. If you're not born again, you're not going to heaven. You're going straight to hell. And you better fear God and fear death. But if you're saved and if you ever go to a Christian funeral, you know what? You know they're already entered into glory. And God glorifies them. They walk in and they'll never die again. They'll never have a spot on their face. They'll never have cancer. They'll never, they'll never stumble. They'll never have a broken bone. They'll never have dim eyesight. They will dance and run and shout and sing and never grow tired. They have been glorified. That's what God has done for every believer. He works all things out together for good. If you love God. Now, he goes on. Look at verse 31. And let me try to finish this up with some final thoughts. See, what are we going to say about all these? There are five things that you, you just got a question. Just go, is, there, is, is, is this really true? Is this really real? Verse 31 says this. What shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? Think about that. Evidently, God is for us. Now, before I was saved, uh, God was against me. The way of transgressors is hard. Uh, sin is hard. You suck on that cancer stick, it's killing you. You pumping down that alcohol, it's killing you. It's, it's burning out the brain cells. It's dividing you and your wife and you and your family. Uh, sin kills, folks. The wages of sin is death. God was against me. Life was against me. Everything, uh, even though I may have thought I was free, I was a puppet before I got saved. And then I found out that when I got saved, God is for me. Secondly, who could be against us? I mean, if God is for me, who can be against me? Uh, it's a great question. Who can hurt or destroy me? God's gonna, God is committed to defending the likes of Craig Ledbetter, a nobody. People may be against me. There may, you may have enemies, Satan himself, may come along and stand against you toe-to-toe, -to -toe, but their power to destroy and ruin your life has been taken away. He's been unplugged, folks. Our God is standing for us. That's why Psalm 118, verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. I will not fear. You need to memorize that scripture and believe with all your heart because Nobody can be against you. Now, that doesn't mean that if you try to start a business that it was going to, not going to be hard, or if you try to take a course in, in, in rocket science, that it's not going to be hard. But in the end, there's no one's going to stop you from doing the will of God except you. Three, who can charge us with all our sins? He goes on, verse 31. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Honestly. If God is for us, he's proven it by just, he's, he's given us heaven. He's given us forgiveness. He's given us the Holy Spirit. But then he goes on, verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justified us. In other words, who's going to condemn us? Who's going to come along and, and point out all of my sins? Well, I know the devil could. By the way, the devil is a liar, but when it comes to my sin record, he doesn't have to lie. Think about that. He's watched you from the day you were born. He knows what you've done, and he can remind you, and he can remind God every minute of every day of all of your failures. 
but he can't, he can't win in the argument because it goes on. It says this, verse 34, uh, verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God, the judge, who's justified me. The devil can't bring up something that the judge has already overruled. He goes on. Um, uh, go back to verse 32. He says, he spared not his own son, but he delivered him up instead of me dying for my own sins. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I love that. I love that. Satan's brilliant accusations against us cannot stand against Jesus Christ standing for us. Uh, who is he that can condemn us? Um, it is Christ that died. Verse 34, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, and right now who makes intercession for us. Uh, according to Colossians 2.14, when Jesus was on the cross, it says that he was blotting out the handwriting of all the ordinances, all the commandments that were against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. On top of the cross of every person who had to die on a cross during those day, Roman days, and even before that, when the Greeks were doing it, there was a list of the crimes of the person who was dying on that cross in punishment. And all those crimes were what that person had done, and they were dying for those crimes. Well, when Jesus Christ died on that cross, he was, he was perfect. There were, there were no crimes he had done. The only crime was he was the Son of God. But in reality, what he did was he took Craig Ledbetter's crime list, and he nailed it to his cross, and he took the punishment for Craig Ledbetter. See, who can condemn us when Jesus Christ has already been condemned? You see how rich this is? When, when you don't spend time in your Bible and don't get these truths, you live a very shallow life. But when you get this, you live a new normal life. This is not the exceptional Christian life. This is the normal life that doesn't live in condemnation. Can I be real plain? I don't want to stop. I, I, I've got to stop. But I want to say this. If your mind, if your heart, if your past constantly condemns you, that's the devil. But nobody can condemn you now that you're born again. There is therefore now no condemnation. That doesn't mean you don't need correction. That doesn't mean that God doesn't chasten you when you do wrong. But there's no condemning spirit. There is no beating, no defeat, no, no constant uh, grief and, and, and quitting because you're a failure. No, not even you can condemn yourself. Who can condemn you? No one. <clears throat> your conscience may haunt you and some super hypercritical people may constantly try and remind you of all your sins and your failures, but no one can condemn you. Not when Jesus Christ has already been condemned in your place. And lastly, last thought, who can separate us from such love? This is the best part. All of these things are vital. All these things are important, but it all boils down to, now I want to love God and I try to, but you know what's perfect? the love of God for me. He picks up there in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, look at that list, or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, look at that list. Can anything come between Christ's love for me now that I'm saved? The answer is no. When you put up that list, I mean, you think about it. Tribulation, that's all the, can, can, can a riot Come between you and the love of Christ? Can fear, distress, 
Can, can persecution being singled out because you're a Christian and people hunting you down, ultimately killing you? What about famine? What if you lost your job? What if there were no entitlements? What if the economy tanked and you had no money for weeks on end and you had no food and you were in a state of famine? Does that prove that God doesn't love you? Are you kidding me? If everybody else is well off and you're not, does that prove that, God, that, you're, that you're in a bad way? No, no, God's working all things together for good, even that bad time. What about nakedness? What about having, I mean, uh, most every one of us got 20 suits of clothes. What if you had one? What if you were constantly in peril? What if the sword was hunting you? What if you were treated like a sheep going to the slaughter? The next verse says this, verse 36, as it is written, for thy sake, just because I'm a Christian following Jesus, for thy sake we are killed. Some of us, listen, some of us learned a long time ago, we're not always going to be blessed. We're not always going to have the great days and happy days and sunny days. No, we're killed all the day long. We are accounted. We're lined up and in, 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 in allocated as sheep for the slaughter. You know what the answer to all of that? Is any of that going to come between us and the love of Christ? No. Look at verse 38 now, or verse 37. That's where the nay comes in. No, in all of those things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. None of those things are the obstacles that can stop us, not to do the will of God. That's why a missionary goes to a foreign field and gives his life sometimes, dies on the mission field. That's why people put their lives at risk trying to do the right thing. I applaud firemen, policemen, Garda, who put their lives on the risk trying to do the right thing. Because that's right. But do you want me to tell you, none of that is supposed to come between us and the will of God for us either. Because we're more than conquerors, aren't we? You know, but that's, a, that's only the short list. Look at verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What a, what a thing. Nothing is going to come between you and the love of Jesus Christ for a lost, wicked, ungodly um, sinner like you and me who's just turned to him for salvation, just turned to him for a new life, for a new normal. You know, this is, a, this is, this is probably my favorite picture of all time. I got, I, I, I got this from a Christian bookstore when I was um, just 17 years old. I saw this and, and I said, what is this? And the, the guy, the store manager pointed to it. And it's called When I Come Home to Heaven. And you may be looking for your grandmother. You may be looking for your best friend. The person I'm going to meet when I get to heaven is Jesus Christ. And you know what? He's not going to stand back and go, wait a minute. How'd you get in here? <laughs> I can't wait for that day. You see, nothing's going to separate me ever from the love of Christ Jesus. We really are more than conquerors, folks. We really are. And let me just wrap this up here. Very simple. This, what does all this mean? It means that we're more than conquerors. It means that we are not defeated. We are not failures. We are not ruined. We're not doomed to waste our lives in sin anymore, even though the world and the devil and the flesh tries to convince us to be. It means we are victors. We are conquerors of our past, of our passions, and of our pretending. 
We're even conquerors of all the panics. We're able to press on when our heart says quit. That's what it means. It means we're well able to defeat any fear the devil throws at us. It doesn't mean you're not going to be afraid. It doesn't mean you're not going to want to quit. It just means you can overcome it. We're well able to overcome any obstacle the devil throws in our path. We're, we're not just out to win against our old habits and our old sins, but by the grace and the help of God, we're able to rule over whatever used to bring us into bondage. Amen. I can pick up a pack of cigarettes. I can pick up things that used to defeat me, and I can teach somebody else how to be free from it. I'm more than a conqueror. Philippians 4.13 says this, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. There's more about that in two weeks. Just decide to start to believe this. You know, you had to get saved, you had to believe that Jesus died for you and was buried and rose again, and he did it for you. And if you'll believe it, he saves you. If you'll believe this, I mean, the will of God becomes big and awesome. I mean, your the life becomes valid. All these people uh, uh, going crazy trying to fight for their their new uh, world order. I've got a new normal that I'm living, and that's as a as a as a victor, as a conqueror. Now, next week is Father's Day. All right, so get your dad to watch this. Gather with you. Say, Dad, I've been watching this. Uh, uh, Texan on, on uh, YouTube, and I want you to sit down. He's going to honor fatherhood. He's going to help you understand God's design for dads. So that's next week. But the following week after that, I want to show you what it's like being more than conqueror. We're going to go back to Israel. We're going to go back to going into the promised land. We're going to find out why most Christians are not conquering anything and get them to start doing it now. So the question is this, are you going to press on? You know, God overcame everything that's against you. Everything. There is, you name me one thing that God is allowing to be in your life that, that is meant to stop you from doing the will of God. There's nothing. You say, Well, I stutter. That's not that's not something that'll stop you. I can't even speak. My wife's learned sign language. You can learn it too. You say, Well, well, uh, um, I, 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 I don't understand the Bible. You know, you don't have to understand a lot to preach that Jesus loves sinners. And died for sinners. You don't have to be a theologian. Whatever God's will is for you, you can do it. You just got to decide that God overcame already and made you an overcomer, a more than conqueror. Don't be the only person stopping you from being more than a conqueror. And this has been for the Christian. I've done my best to talk to Christians. But what about you? What about you, dear listener? Would you like to be forgiven? Wouldn't you like to be able to say, like Paul, I know whom I have believed. I know him. I don't know what I believed. See, what you believe is, is kind of important, but who you believe is far more important. I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep my soul, to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day where I stand before the judgment of God. Wouldn't you like to be able to say that? Eternal life is yours for the believing, dear friend. Eternal life. See, we're religious. We're true religious, which means we talk about eternal life. We talk about heaven and hell. We don't talk about just being good. This is what you need. You need to be born again. You need to believe it and believe it with all your heart. 
Decide right now that all your efforts will never be enough. Jesus, you know what Jesus did? He died on that cruel cross to be enough for you to just accept the free gift that he gave you. That's This, this is the new normal for the Christian. Because of the cross, I live. Not because of my accomplishments, but because of his. Your church, your baptism, your religious duties cannot compete with childlike faith. At that cross is full and perfect victory. Will you trust it right now? Right now, bow your head. Ask Jesus Christ, save you. You say, well, I got people in the room with you. Well, let me, I'm going to go ahead and pray right now. While we're praying, while our eyes are closed, why don't you close your eyes and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save a wretch like me. Uh, if all of that is available to me, if you can move me from death, if you can move me from drugs, if you can move me from, from ruin unto life, I'll take it. If you can do that for me, I'll let you do it. Let's pray. Father, in these, these few moments, I pray that somebody would bow their head and from their heart of hearts cry out and say, okay, God, you win. I've been trying to be good and I get so tired of it. I fail, but I realize I will always fail. But you didn't fail. You were good. You became a man so that you could perfectly be good in my place. And then you became a man so you could die in my place. You rose again three days later to show me that I can follow you all the way back home to heaven. Please, the 40 years ago tomorrow, I bowed my head and I asked Jesus Christ to save me. Would somebody do it also today? And if somebody's Christian here, listen to this. May they, with all of their heart, the same fervor when they got saved, may they say, Lord, if you've moved me into this new life, help me to live that new normal life. The world is, is forcing on us all kinds of weird normals. I want to be totally peculiar. I want to live the new normal for the Christian now. I'm going to go ahead and live that life that's abundant, that life that's <clears throat> lived doing the will of God, doing things right, fellowshipping with God. Oh, all the things that were said. Please bless these thoughts now in Jesus' name. Amen.